Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. Welcome once again to Senior Story Hour. I am Peter J. We have an exciting lineup once again of our Senior Center authors who are, who are bringing their very best work to your ears. So have your ears, sit down, relax for the next hour, and join us. Well, first of all, let's introduce all of our people. Steve Sherlock. Dave Flaherty. Alakam. Ellis Judge. Kathy Salzberg. So I'm thinking, Kathy, the floor is yours. All righty. This one is called A Matter of Manners. The burly man stood at my counter, shaking with rage, in a blind fury because he thought his dog had been clipped too short. For one crazy moment, my mind flashed a visual of the irate customer in a diaper, stomping his feet and spitting out his pacifier. He was a 250-pound baby throwing a temper tantrum. But this guy was using words no baby should have in its vocabulary. He tossed some crumpled up bills in my direction, then dragged his poor old dog behind him, still mumbling expletives. As a parting shot, he slammed the door so hard that it almost fell off its hinges. It was partly my fault. After all the years I've spent in the grooming business, I should have taken pains to explain more adequately that his pet's matter to the skin coat was way beyond brushing and needed to be shaved down and regrown. It was a solid pelt. Thankfully, I could still count such problem customers on one hand, but the incident got me thinking about the type of rude behavior we all witness more frequently these days. What makes people think they can be nasty and rude to anyone who has the misfortune to wait on them? Tellers at understaffed banks, waiters and waitresses, store clerks, public servants. Sooner or later, one of these problem customers will explode in our faces with a terrible tantrum. I wonder what Judith Martin, better known as Miss Manners, would say about this crisis in crassness. Maybe we all need a refresher course in how to be polite. I'm not saying that we groomers are totally exempt from rude behavior. I once employed a young woman who ripped open her Christmas cards like a crazed animal right in front of the customers, giving the envelopes a good shake to see if there was any money inside. Another sweet young thing flirted outrageously with male customers and gushed with compliments to women to encourage heavier tips. Don't tell me, Mr. Smith, you've been going to the gym, haven't you? Wow, you look so buff. Your hair looks gorgeous, Mrs. Brown. And how do you keep your complexion so smooth? It's hard to believe you have teenage kids. And I love that outfit. Tell me, what do you do with your old clothes? Her approach made me wince, but I have to admit it was effective. The girl could have used a shopping bag to carry home all her tips. Then there was the high school part-timer who reported for duty sporting an impressive chain of hickeys around his neck. It may have been August, but I told the kid he'd have to wear a turtleneck or stay in the back room. How about the groomer's boyfriend who came to the Christmas party and ate with his mouth open like a cow chewing its cud while conversing all the while. It wasn't pretty, but at least he didn't show up at a fellow staffer's wedding wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and a baseball cap. 
like another guy did. What about the female staff member who constantly borrows everybody's grooming tools and forgets to return them? Her feelings were crushed when her coworkers went out and bought padlocks for their toolboxes. I guess these folks didn't have mothers like mine. She's the one who taught me to administer a silent but effective pinch in the upper arm at the birthday party when one of my offspring opened a gift from grandma and whined, oh, I already have this. I also employed guilt trips that would make my kids beg for mercy until those thank you notes got written. Things have changed. Why write notes when an email or a text will do? Now we talk to machines, voicemail, and Siri instead of each other. And when people do talk, they yak away on cell phones, on buses, trains, at sporting events, and in restaurants, oblivious to their neighbors. On the highway, if other drivers don't appreciate my driving skills, they frequently offer their critique with one of their fingers. It's not that I aspire to give Miss Miss Manners a run for her money. She is, after all, the goddess of etiquette. I am a mere puppy primper. I've been known to let my manners fall by the wayside on occasion. But when I'm at work, I've come up with my own little set of rules to keep me on the straight and narrow. When people are lined up at the counter, I try not to act like that restaurant hostess who won't make eye contact to let you know you're not invisible. Or the store clerks too busy chatting with each other about when their next break is due to tear themselves away and wait on you. I try not to answer the phone, sounding like I'm being held captive by a terrorist with a gun to my head. I refrain from guffawing in the ear of the man who calls on December 20th to book his Old English Sheepdog's Christmas appointment. I take a deep cleansing breath and resist getting snippy when the elderly client who asks if the price I quoted for grooming her poodle is the best I can do. I'd love to tell you, you're, I'd love to tell her she's at the groomers, not the flea market. But I smile, not an easy thing to do while biting my tongue. I'd love to offer a breath mint to the guy whose lunch was laden with garlic and onions. But I make believe I have a cold and cover my nose with a tissue instead. It's just common courtesy. Okay, sometimes it's a struggle. Miss Manners believes that good manners are the cultural glue that holds our society together. I don't know about you. But sometimes I get the feeling that my glue gun just exploded all over my shoes. The end. <laughs> Love it, Kathy. Thank you. A story appropriate for the times, I might add, <clears throat> by the way, given. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully people will step back from the edge and be more considerate. <laughs> yes. Or else we're all getting old. Don't you remember when you were young and people would talk about the people of today have no manners? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who was interested in following and stepping up next? Can I, uh, can I just uh, step in my next kind of a downer? And I know you said, no, (laughs) Uh, mine is kind of a downer. (laughs) I didn't mean it. So I just wanted to write about my friend, Karen. Our wonderful friend, Karen, was July 3rd in Randolph, where I lived in a condo at the time. Tonight was a 4th of July parade and fireworks afterwards. My friends and I usually walked up to the parade since it ended like five, ten minutes away, and then would walk over to the grounds outside the fire station 
with our folding chairs and look at the beautiful fireworks. It lasted about an hour. My friend Karen and I had made plans to walk up together and our other friend Marilyn, who was on a float, would meet us later and we would go to the fireworks. Early evening that day, I got a call from Marilyn asking for a ride to the start of the parade, which was at the School for the Deaf on North Main Street. She was on a float since she had won in some category at the Senior Center, Senior Olympics, which our Senior Center had every year. I'm pretty sure it was walking because that's what she does every day. But anyway, the winners of each category could either walk behind the float or on it, fully decked out with their Olympic medals. So Marilyn asked <laughs> me to take her in my car to the starting line, and then we would all walk home together, and she wouldn't have to pick up her car later. Earlier in the day, I had confirmed our plans with Karen, so I went straight away to drop Marilyn off at the beginning of the parade. I then came back to pick up Karen, but Karen did not answer her door and phone calls to her resulted in voicemail messages. I was concerned at this point, so I had a neighbor who had the key to my uh, Karen's place let me in her apartment to make sure something hadn't happened to her and she was not ill in the, her apartment. Figuring Karen had le already left for the parade, I walked up to the festivities and searched the crowd. I have to tell you, it, literally everyone in Randolph goes to the parade. People put their chairs in front of their favorite spot for watching early in the day. So I wasn't surprised I didn't find her, except by now I was getting worried. I met up with Marilyn after the parade and we kind of hung around, looking in the local ice cream parlor and other spots. At that point, we decided to forego the fireworks and see if Karen had come home. No, nobody answered at her place. Mm -hmm. It was getting late. Marilyn's apartment was right across from Karen's on the third floor. Her porch faced the parking lot, and my friend could see people coming in and out. It was decided that Marilyn would sit outside on her porch and see if and when Karen came home. She called me at 10.30 that evening to say Karen was back in her home. When Karen <laughs> saw the car gone, she figured I had already gone to the parade, so she went herself. On the surface, the incident seems simply a misunderstanding. But you see, my wonderful friend, so giving, so loving, smart, pretty, all the adjectives you could ever attribute her, was entering a dimension of her life for which there was no return, Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. It was hereditary. Her aunt was in mm -hmm. an Alzheimer's facility in Arizona. Karen would give you the shirt off her back if you needed it. She was a kind of a date charge person, vice president of a telecommunications company that she and a fellow worker started that was doing very well. She was once trustee of our condo. Even when she didn't have a car any longer, she would be out there in the snow shoveling, helping others get their cars out of the parking lot so the plow could do its job. In the summer of 2018, after 18 years living at the condo, 
I moved to Franklin to be closer to my daughter and her, her family, my daughter and her family. But we stayed in touch with promises of getting together. Then in December 2018, I got a text from Maryland that there had been an electrical fire in the laundry room <sighs> of Firefighters from Randolph, nearby Holbrook and Braintree, were fighting the blaze. Everyone had to be evacuated and live elsewhere for many months. It was then I discovered and was delighted to hear Karen had been put in the memory care place on King Street. Now, I used to know the name of that, but uh, it's changed names several times since I've been here. I just knew that was a gift from above because now I could see her often. I could see how she was progressing. But now her friends in the condo, Marilyn, Michelle, and another Marilyn would come to visit me then we went to get Karen and would take her out to lunch. I would many times stop at Dunkin' Donuts, pick her up an iced coffee, get one for myself, of course, and go to visit. After a while, my friends would say that Karen, when they saw her, just recognized me because I saw her often and didn't know they didn't, she didn't know who they were. But that mm -hmm. didn't stop us from seeing her hugging her and laughing about old times. She just kind of giggled. All of this was before COVID-19, of course. Oh, how I miss my friend. But Michelle, the two Marylands and I are making plans for the summer as more and more things open up to get together, go out to eat and share stories of Karen, our wonderful friend. What memory place on King Street? It's yeah, it had been known as Atria. Yeah, uh, it used to be Atria. It's, it's, it's King Street at this point. It doesn't become Washington until closer to uh, Jefferson. Um, now it's called the Enclave. Yeah. You can keep her memory and your memories alive by continuing to write some of those stories mm -hmm. from time to time. Exactly. Yeah. Some of them are really quite interesting. Good idea. Yeah. You ready for a change of pace? We are ready yes, Faith, yes. for a change of pace. Okay. Faith, the floor is Local. yours. Okay. This is titled, If Rodney Dangerfield Lived in Franklin. Oh, good. Ooh. Rodney, yay. <laughs> I have never been given any <laughs> respect. I was born at home, and when the doctor delivered me, he took one look and slapped my father. That was the beginning. <laughs> no respect. <sighs> You think it's easy being me? It's not, let me tell you. <laughs> I won tickets to the movies. The theater was called the Zeotrope. It's been gone for over 10 years. I can't get any uh -oh. respect. When I was a child, I learned how to swim at Beaver Pond. The trouble was that my parents dropped me off at the dump across the street from the pond. No respect <laughs> at all, none. I got a library card at the nation's first library, the town library. I was seven years old and couldn't read, so I didn't know I was locked in the elevator instead of the children's room. I've lived a hard life, no respect. I wanted to go skating at the Franklin rink. My dad said, it's nice and warm, go skating on Beaver Pond. See, I'm telling you, believe me, I get no respect. My teachers taught me all about Ben Franklin and how the town was named after him. 
and he gave the town some books for our library. But he died in Philadelphia, so my teachers gave me a one-way ticket to Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> any respect. When I graduated from Franklin High School, I was given a blank diploma. When I complained, I was given a diploma with the wrong name. I complained again, and the principal simply crossed out the name and wrote mine. What's even worse is that he misspelled Dangerfield. He wrote Danger Failed. I didn't dare complain again. I brought the family <laughs> to have a picnic on the Tom town common. We were playing hide and seek. I looked for an hour, but I couldn't find them. I had to walk all the way home in the rain. That's no respect. I joined tops at the senior center. That's a club, take off pounds sensibly. I didn't lose any weight, but I found out how to look like I lost weight. The secret is just hang out with fat people. <laughs> I went over to the Mormon Temple on Jordan Road because I heard that they were good on genealogy. I wanted to look up my family tree. I found it, and I also found that three dogs had used it. No wonder I get no respect. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, these jokes are white, but I didn't know I didn't do the justice that Rodney Dangerfield deserves. He delivers it. Only he can deliver the no respect. Um, I think you did a good job of channeling him. Thank mm -hmm. you. He was the comic but genius. He, if he, he was, but he was laugh, also funny looking. Yeah. The faces he, he would make. At his jokes and the way he put them mm. over, then you just aren't you. Mm. Faith. No. Himself down. Faithful respect. Yep. <laughs> his catchphrase, Total. I can't get no respect, is famous. And when he died in 2004 and he reached the pearly gates, St. Peter said to him, I heard that you got no respect in life, which prompted Rodney to quip some famous no respect one-liners. St. Peter smiled, <laughs> then he laughed, and then he waved Rodney in. Welcome, Rodney Dangerfield. Here is where you will always be respected. Mm. Mm. Nice. Very good. Very nice. Well done. That was very funny. Anyway, uh, with all the uh, humor we've already heard, this may be apropos. It's called Laugh Out Loud. The joy of laughter is a shared experience that any and all uh, love to be a part of, whether as the one delivering the humor or the viewer and listener. At my 80th birthday, my youngest daughter, along with others, shared something about their dad. When she went to bed late one night, hearing her dad laughing away in the living room while listening to Johnny Carson show, it made her feel all's well with the world. There are so many ways that make us laugh, as in true wit, self-deprecating humor, slapstick and pratfalls, uh, any kind of silliness we're familiar with. In other words, we usually get it. A good laugh makes us chuckle, giggle, or howl, taking us by humor into a relaxed, positive mood. Someone telling a joke gives us a shared experience that we understand and relate to, triggering a good laugh. We even laugh to see other people laughing too. A good listener 
response can put the teller of the jokes on a roll, generating even more laughs. So laughing out loud, a bellow, chuckle, or even laughing uncontrollably. Some comedians can turn an audience, turn on an audience with a roll of the eyes, double take at something uh, was said or, or something that happened, which uh, such great timing. In other words, they, they developed that and, and they're so good at it, uh, even their, their uh, movements are a chuckle. I find my wife on the phone with our daughters having lots of laughs about with their, their hearty chuckles and fun. And when I asked what was so funny, I was told, well, when out with our girlfriends, they too find lots to laugh about. If laughter is good for your health and boosts the immune system, then I know why they're all doing so well. Mm. Humor is a mood changer, so it must be good for your heart. A good sense of humor helps in getting a laugh, and some people like our Kathy here, with her quick imagination, <laughs> has given us plenty of laughs in her stories. That makes her a good audience, too. Be sure to get it with a laugh at your humor. Anyway, so I'll try uh, a couple of uh, jokes and see, uh, see how we like them. Anybody know the difference between a hippo and a zippo? <laughs> no. Big and heavy, and the other is a little lighter. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. okay. That's cute. Yeah. This guy is telling us he... He bought some shoes uh, from a drug dealer. And then he said, I don't know what he laced them with, but I've been tripping all day. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> How about uh, the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Hmm. Outlaws are wanted. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, for my own... Life, uh, I probably lost a fair amount of sleep, staying up late till midnight most nights to catch the late comedians over the years. Oh. But I know it did me good otherwise. They're going to be celebrating the story of those late night comedians next Sunday evening at 9 p.m. on CNN. Oh. The joy of laughter lifts our spirits. So it might be the open window to our souls or something that brings harmony. The good things uh, we find funny are in the foibles of others. I think we like those because we can identify with those failings in ourselves mm -hmm. as it speaks to our feet of clay, our humanity. In mm -hmm. it, we are joined in common with one another. Whenever the laughs come our way, be it by way of pure wit, silly slapstick, pratfalls, derisive, amusing situations. Be a good listener and be ready to maybe laugh out loud. <laughs> I think what I shall do here is take you back in time. Ooh, time mm -hmm. travel. Uh, you may recall several episodes ago, I began reading a story called The Magellan Boys. Yeah. It's a little bit like the Hardy Boys in high tech. Um, it's a story of a couple of high school kids who go up against probably one of the great powerhouse titans of his day, David Sarnoff of RCA. So mm. that sets the backdrop. And the two high school kids mm -hmm. are Tom Sprague 
and David Maxim. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick it up at chapter two. Is this a book? Yes. Oh, good. So this is the beginning of the radio broadcasting business. And in fact, this is the story of how radio actually became known as broadcasting. So I start with chapter two, a simple misunderstanding. Every saga has one. A simple misunderstanding is often the originating seed for act two in any dramatic telling. It is the very spine of this investigation. We now know that Sarnoff's adroit 1918 music box response to Magellan's term broadcast was the result of a misunderstanding, plain and simple. There are two key traits that fueled Sarnoff's legendary drive as a leader, pride and paranoia, and apparently not always in that order. Sarnoff was clearly a prideful man with an outsized yet well-deserved ego hewn from discipline. He was a Russian emigre who rose from the bottom through his unflagging diligence, amplified by an equally unflagging, abashed self-promotion. Naturally, lurking behind great pride, there is often great paranoia. That second essential instinct protects the first. Pride governed all that Sarnoff said, Paranoia governed all that he heard. The general always had his ears on. In the military, one learns to appreciate the value of timely intel. November 11th, 11 a.m., 1918. The Great War ends. Making port in Boston on the journey home, Sarnoff visited a military friend, a Major Edwin Armstrong, on holiday in New Hampshire. Along his way to Armstrong's camp, Sarnoff chanced to stop into a department store, a Woolworths, in nearby Exeter. He overheard a conversation that changed everything. Apocrypha has it that this is where the conversation took place. Two boys of high school age were waxing on about their grandiose plans for a science project. This would later evolve into visions of a vast future enterprise and fortune. Sarnoff, listening intently and discreetly at some distance, thought he was overhearing astute men of enterprise such as himself. He heard competition. The conversation was, I know we can do radio transmission and talk to everyone at the same time in school. Yeah, I bet we can cast our radio signal broadly all around. We present it like a radio system that can go around the whole world like Magellan. Yeah. Maybe it's like like Magellan Radio, broadly casting. That's a sure doozy. Whenever someone, anyone, uttered the words radio, Sarnoff's ears were on and tuned in. He didn't hear science fair. He heard something much larger and, for him, far more ominous. He couldn't know that this was just banter, the innocent, unfettered enthusiasm of schoolboys. However, paranoia triggered something deeply reactive in the general. Those schoolboys, Thomas Sprague, then the president of the Exeter High School Science Club, mind you, and his <laughs> friend David Maxim. Early in our century of study, this was perhaps the first such student club dedicated to science. It was the first incubator, a cradle of new men, technology men, nerds. During that first science fair demonstration, they stuffed a carbon microphone salvaged from an old Kellogg candlestick phone into the horn of a hand crank 78 RPM Victrola 
plus or minus 10%, mm-hmm. they would broadcast a rousing rendition of a popular wartime marching song, It's a Long Way to Tipperary, as performed <laughs> by the famed Irish tenor John McCormick and the Soldiers of the King. Wow. Boys also strategically placed two oatmeal box crystal receivers in opposite corners of the hall. They had also wow. commandeered the ear sets from their stash of old Kellogg phone parts. The boys fired up the broadcasting transmitter, twiddled with two crystal radio receivers. They cranked up, literally, Dad's Victrola. McCormick warbled out the tune, varying somewhere between alto and tenor, depending on the number of cranks. (laughs) They parked the school's globe at their transmitter, where they were worldwide broadcasters, for almost three hours, at least until their batteries gave out. In smaller towns, such as 1918 Exeter, There were no local radio stations. A receiver might chance upon a distant code or half of a conversation, but the ether was still relatively open land, uncharted and loosely Mm -hmm. regulated. When fairgoers picked up a telephone ear set, it was more than a science project. It was electrical sorcery. Some folks scurried back and forth to hear both receivers. Those who knew the tune could watch each other across the auditorium, mouthing the lyrics in sync. Apart, yet together, invisibly connected, they listened and shared an experience. As Arthur C. Clarke opined, any sufficiently advanced Mm -hmm. technology is indistinguishable from magic. This was the magic and real-time communal experience of modern broadcasting writ large. Under the Radio Act of 1912, the Department of Commerce began granting permits for radio stations. On November 2, 1920, Live election returns from the Harding-Cox presidential election were broadcasting over Westinghouse Station 8ZZ, which later became KDKA in Pittsburgh. Over the next decade, a new group of industries, the radio and music entertainment industry, would rise up and largely define the Roaring Twenties. Broadcast radio proved a public platform for promoting music recordings, film stars who could sing, and politicians who could bloviate at any grand opening, public occasion, or other notable radio-worthy event. Wow. That sets the stage. That's the chapter. Uh, Well, it's part of it. Oh, it's wonderful. And your delivery of it is good, too. I won't sing It's a Long Way to Tipperary, though. I'm not not going there. (laughs) Thank you. You can join the chorus. You can all thank me for that. You know, I'm a, I've tried singing, and you know, once again, I don't get no respect at all. <laughs> oh, I like the connection of the story starting, and then the story is continuing here with what we're doing in the yes. same medium. Mm-hmm. That's true, isn't that true? Mm-hmm. Steve, wonderful. Yes, sir. I thought we'd go for a big finish here, Steve. I've got a couple of queued up. Excellent. A couple of, okay. couple of poems here. These are some of the longer pre-Shirku. So this is back from my days when I was a substitute teacher in the Pawtucket, Rhode Island School District. Although this one in particular uh, was from a visit to Woonsocket High School titled Speaking trying to weave a thread of colorful connections through the minds of the faces in front of me, there sitting, 
doing what I hope I know. Maybe they're in Ishchapipi under the sun. Maybe they're in Never Neverland being kids again. Or maybe they are actually with me as the needle mm-hmm. pierces their imagination, pricks them on, or maybe they're against me, tying knots in the thread. And with the bell, ring, all rush out. <laughs> Little kids after the ice cream man in summer, the thread yeah. destroyed for that day. Or, can I have your attention, please? Will a teacher send the following students to Mr. Quidadamo? <laughs> then they and I are lost in the labyrinth to fight the Minotaur without the saving thread. We're stranded upon opposite shores, watching our lifeline, our lifeboat, sink slowly between us. Mm. Wow. Another school-related one, although running-related from my early running days. The melody that lingers on, lyrics straining to be recalled, the commercial jingle now in earworm, the trample of a cleated football team boarding a bus. I yearn to leave all these. Yes, escape, run away with just what I need to wear out into the world, now dark, days done, my shoes by the chair resemble a giant cloven hoof, half left, half right. (laughs) I shall put the two together many times tonight. Mm. A little bit more of a a sound play Mm. on this one. You'll, You'll get the thread. Suppose it's Moses' camel's nose that happens to close because your toes don't smell like a rose bouquet. (laughs) What do you do? Do you doze? Don't wrinkle your clothes. Anything else? If he owes for his hose and it poses the problem, hope that it snows. (laughs) That was fun to write. (laughs) That was fun to read, too. That was clever. Yeah. And I'll close with a short little shirku, more current vintage, just a couple of weeks ago, so it's still fresh. Titled mm-hmm. Hot Rod. Hot Rod youngster steps on the gas, attempts to fly, no wings though, only makes noise. Hot Rod youngster <laughs> steps on the gas, attempts to fly, no wings though, only makes noise. Except I really should have put the rumble of a motor in there, but you know, that's you, you yeah. can use your imagination to fill in the gaps. <laughs> that's what we got. There you go. We're back with another hour behind okay. us. We did okay for ourselves. We did. And I hope everyone's ears had a good time enjoying the hour with us. We look forward once again to having you join us in our next episode, the Senior Center Story Hours. I'm Peter J. And for all of our writers today, Steve Sherlock. Dave Clarity. Alaka. Ellis Judge. Kathy Salzberg. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write.
This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.